It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Racial abuse on social media has reared its disgusting and ugly head once more, with at least six Premier League footballers recently receiving hate messages online. What that continues to prove is that even in the midst of a global pandemic and an emotive summer of 2020, a small minority continue to harbour deep feelings of hatred, often racial hatred, but more worryingly, they still have a space to use that voice on social media, with a direct line to their victims. We have all had enough. This is a serious hate crime and it's time for serious action, responsibility and punishment for all those who are allowing this to happen. Last week, our own Reshmin Chowdhury sat down to explore how we can move this issue forward with a stellar panel who all have experience of what online hate means. She was joined by the former Premier League defender Anton Ferdinand, Dr Daniel Kilvington, a senior lecturer in media and cultural studies who specialises in race, sport and the media, and Leanne Sanderson, the England international who has been targeted for her sexuality and the colour of her skin. And now we bring you their raw conversation in full. Is football losing the battle on social media and racism and abuse? Why is the situation getting worse and what needs to be done to prevent online hate? So my guests, obviously, Anton, Leon and Dan, it's not something that's gone away. It's something we've been hearing about for, it feels like years, it feels like all the time. And every time you feel that there's an initiative, there's progress being made, we just seem to be going backwards. So I'm going to start with um, Dan, actually. And You know, when you look at what we've seen this week, it's not new. I just want to know, why do you think people do it in the first place? I mean, it's just the basic question. Why on earth is it happening? Why do people feel that they can target people in the way that they do? Yeah, I think there's a number of uh, reasons as to why this is happening. I think, first of all, we throw in anonymity. And I think that if you can hide behind an anonymous profile, or that perceived anonymity that we have, I think that leads to a level of disinhibition where we behave slightly differently as well. And one thing that's always forgotten about as well is invisibility. We're not physically co-present with the person that we are abusing online. You don't see the hurt in their eyes. You don't see the anger. And because of that disembodied nature of it, we also, all the people who are out there doing this, don't feel that empathy as well. And empathy is a major part of, I guess, why we see racism. If you, if you lack that empathy, you are psychologically more likely to abuse somebody, whether it's racism or sexism, whatever it might be. Another one would be about this rapid response nature of how social network, how, how it's built. So if we look at Twitter, that's an, a micro blogging website and it's built on instantaneous communication. So the quicker that we respond with something with our first thoughts or knee jerk reactions, 
well, the more likely we are to post something we might actually later regret and not actually fully have thought out as well. And the final point uh, as well is if somebody shouts this in a stadium when it's safe to get back in a stadium, it's likely that they're going to be, uh, let's hope, face a banning order or get arrested. There's people who can witness that and they'll face action. But if you do it online, there are weak penalties and there always has been for this. And if people are likely to get away with it, it's likely to persist. Hmm. It's almost like it's because it happens online that it's not real. But obviously, it's something something that will and can affect you as a person if you're a victim of that kind of abuse. And, I, you know, I don't want to dredge up lots of old memories for, you know, Leanne and, and Anton. I know it, it hurts and it's raw, but I'm going to start with Anton first. You know, you have received persistent online racist abuse and you know you're a strong character you're a professional footballer but there's got to be a point where it does get to you doesn't it yeah it does definitely get to you um and the rally of my experiences were when I was playing and when you're in that bubble as a professional footballer you have football that takes care of a lot of things that happen so I've always been of the the feeling of when something happens in my private life or if it happens, I've got football that will take care of it. Football will take away the pain. Football will take away any type of feeling that I've got that's going on in my personal life. And um, at the time of it happening, when, what was this, nearly 10 years ago, I actually felt that I was okay. I felt that I was fine because I was in that bubble. But it wasn't until filming a documentary and, and hearing what people had to say who were around me around that time, like Neil Warnock telling me that I wasn't the same person, he could see it, you know. I didn't quite know until I started revisiting it nine years later. That's when it started to hit me, like I was actually in a really, really bad place. And then I was able to put together and formulate and think about things that were happening to me around that time and, and how I wasn't dealing with it the way that I normally dealt with it because football weren't taking care of it because... I'd never had a I never had a get out. Football normally was my get out, and when it wasn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to deal with it. And it was like I said, it was only till later on in my life I understood and realised the the implications that it had not just on myself but on my family. Yeah, Leanne. I mean, you've obviously suffered abuse, you know, for your ethnicity, but also for your sexuality as well. Is your experience the same as as Anton? Did it hit you at the time or? Was it something that kind of revisits later on? Yeah, I think, you know, hearing Anton, I wanted to piggyback off of something Anton was saying about, and I obviously watched the documentary and I really resonated with it and it really affected me because I remember what myself and any other Luco was going through and it was horrible. And everybody to make you feel like, not everybody, but to make you feel like you weren't telling the truth and you become the person that everybody thinks is lying and you're the one telling the truth and then you get ostracized because of it. How can that be? And I still live with that every single day. And I was talking about it today when I was at the studio and I was saying, you know, that really affected me. But the difference is I felt like we were able to kind of put it to bed quite early, but it's still something I'll always live with for the rest of my life. But I don't think that by telling the truth, you should ever feel like you are in the wrong. And there was times certainly during that time. And when I watched Anton's documentary, I really resonated with me. And at times it made me brought back. It triggered me a lot because I thought, you know what? I know exactly how you feel because we went through that. To be made to feel like you're in the wrong for telling the truth. You should never be made to feel that way, ever. And it's not a good feeling. Yeah, and it's interesting because as strong as you are, and you know, as I mentioned to Anton, you're, you guys are professional athletes. You have to have a different level of mentality to be able to perform. You've got to put a lot 
in your mind, sort of at the back of your mind to be able to do your job as well. But, you know, it's impossible for it not to affect your mental state because when someone is criticising you for things that are natural to you, you can't be any different. You can't not be black. You can't not be heterosexual or homosexual. You cannot not be what you are or how you look. It's, I just feel that that is something that if you're not in a good place at a certain time, or for example, if it comes to you when you're very, very young, like players now, I mean, Anton, I don't know how old you were at the time when this sort of abuse had started and whether you kind of see the difference in the way that you would handle it as a young person or whether it wasn't as big at that time, as you say, 10 years ago, because social media has has changed now and that has sort of changed the parameters of everything. Um, yeah, I, I, it definitely wasn't the same in terms of the the legs and the traction that it gets today. Um, definitely not. Um, social media was just starting around the time when it happened to me. Um, Twitter was the, the craze at the time. I'm not sure, even sure if Instagram was about. It was just Twitter mainly. But what um, makes it escalate is the fact of what we're seeing now. We're seeing, and this is where I feel we're in a catch twenty two. We're in a in a in a critical position. Is we're talking it out. We're talking about it. But are the pe- are the perpetrators? Are the people doing the abusing? Are they thriving off the fact that we're talking about it and they're getting airtime? You know. So it's 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 a hard it's a hard one. But you're definitely gonna deal with it differently as a, as a as a younger player to to an older player you're definitely going to deal with it differently i can only go off of my own experiences and at the time i was what was i, I must have been about 26 27 around that age um a young pup so to well youngish pup uh, so to speak and it just became a ripple effect if i'm honest like one tweet I think I remember tweeting something. Someone was tweeting me stuff and I retweeted that tweet. And the engagement off of that one retweet that I had done, I was there for over an hour looking, reading through the engagement to this one retweet. And where the problem was, and, and I'm glad that things have moved forward and we're at a different stage now, is the fact that I was shut down. Like I, I, I went to, to work that morning... I was on a training pitch and Neil Warnock ran in, ran onto the training pitch and said, Anton, you've got to go inside. And I was like, no, I'm training, man. Get inside, you need to go and see the secretary. I went inside to see the te- secretary and I was told if I don't delete the retweets, then there's a possibility of me getting fined. And that wasn't from the club, that was from the FA. And that was basically, to me, that was telling me to shut up, basically. You know, so... Now I can't vent. I can't retweet things and show people what's going on with me. I can't. I can't vent. Where does all that pent up anger and and dealing with how it's affected me? Where does that go? It it, it stays with me because I can't vent. I can't retweet something. I can't show people what's actually happening to me. Mm. And it's I can't a resentment, it. surely, that builds up because you aren't able to say how you feel, and it's the injustice of not being able to just be honest, as you were saying, Leanne. It's just telling the truth and calling people out well the thing is as well I completely agree with what Anton said because when you are playing and you're still playing they don't want you to say anything and it's the same as all the interviews are contrived you know stuff like that it's kind of like the interviews almost become boring because they don't want the players to say anything 
So I completely feel for him in that sense. But I think as well, with regards to the child, like for someone like myself, I always say, you know, I'm, I'm half black, I'm a woman and I'm gay. You know, it's almost like you almost tick all the wrong boxes, but all the right boxes in my eyes, you know, because it's not easy. But at the same time, you can't choose you know, who you are and you can't choose how you are. And I never would change how I am. But I don't think that when I'm on these shows, talk sport and different types of shows, I shouldn't go on my phone after and get absolutely hammered by people. And then everyone says, oh, you know, you're doing something right because they're talking about you. Well, no. And you could get literally, you could get a hundred tweets and you read four of them that are not very good. And you're like, and it doesn't, I've learned to not let it affect me, but if you're having a bad day, like, and stuff like that, it does affect you. It really does. And it affects my mum. I'm sure Anton can say, you know, the whole family, like it affects them, doesn't it? And it's their mental health as well because they love you and they want to protect you. And I can't ever comprehend. There's people that I don't like and I'm sure there's people that don't like me. But why do you have to be mean? Why do you need to tell me that? Why do you need to go on your phone and say to somebody, do you know what? I don't like you. And it's obviously worse than that. But then when you do report it, you get a generic response back from like whatever company, Instagram, Twitter saying, you know, it's not harmful or offensive because it's a generic response. They need to employ people their full time that see these things before it gets to the player, because it's like giving people your telephone number, because after a game, we're all creatures of habit. Well, it's human nature. Players go on their phones. You do. doesn't matter who you are. There might be a few that don't go on Instagram, but. You do, and you check your phone, don't you, Anton? Straight after a game, I'm sure the players do. And it's not nice. You shouldn't have to go on there and it'd be all like nice things. You missed a chance. You got They can say whatever they want, really, if I'm not playing football well. But why do you have to say to me, you know, about my sexuality, race, and being a woman? Why? Why do you gets, to do that? It's when it gets personal, exactly. And, and Dan Kilvington, I want to bring you back into this because this is exactly where the debate is. But I feel it hasn't moved because it, I feel like we always talk about um, the authorities, what should they be doing? I mean, look, we, we've had the, um, the Secretary for Digital Culture and Media and Sport speak this week, um, Oliver Dowden, saying that there are plans this year to put in stricter penalties for the social media companies. That's something that the government are looking to do. Heavy fines, that's what they're suggesting. Why does it seem to be that people like Leanne, people like Anton and all the other people who receive this abuse, not just people in the public eye, just to point out, but anybody, why does it feel like you're hitting your head against a brick wall? In terms of actions then and what needs to be done to, to link it back to there, I think you mentioned the fine system and the sanctions. That's fundamental. And I think in the UK, we're on the verge of doing that, which is a, a breakthrough. We are behind the curve though, because we look at, for example, Australia, France, Germany, they've had these big fines in place for social media giants who failed to take down hate speech in a timely manner, for example, and we're now about to do that. I think that, uh, I think touching on what we mentioned before as well, that AI has to be better developed and social media organizations such as Instagram are developing AI to detect hate speech and be more proactive rather than reactive. So things are happening. But again, we, we've waited a long time to, to get to this stage. I think that one of the key things that can, can happen is people like Ian Wright and Wilfred Zahar, uh, Ryan Sessignon, they've had direct messages direct into their in, inboxes on Instagram. It's too easy to have that direct communication. We've got to try and prevent that. We've got to uh, have a different approach there. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. I've, I've, I was lucky enough to be privy to these conversations with um, the Secretary of State. I was actually on that round table, uh, Zoom call. Um, and previously before that, I was involved in a, in a conversation where Kick It Out um, and all the footballing body, bodies, FA, the PFA, EFL, Premier League, um, were on a Zoom call with all the social media companies. I've been privy to, the, to these conversations over the last two months. And one thing that has come very, very apparent to me since doing the documentary and being involved in these conversations is people are happy to talk, but the minute you bring up the word accountability, that's when things start to go wrong, you know? So my thing is this, and this is my opinion, is until there's accountability, things ain't going to get better. Like... Us as athletes, us as people in the public eye, us as pundits, if we're held accountable for the way we act on our social media, right? So if we tweet something bad or retweet something that we shouldn't do, we're as a footballer, you're at risk of being fined and banned from playing football. As a pundit, you're at risk of um, getting a sack. But how come we're held accountable but the people who are doing abusing and the people whose platforms are being used for the abusers, they ain't being held accountable. That, for me, doesn't add up. And it's all great having these conversations, and it's great, and I said this the other day, the conversations are great, and it's good that we're having them. But I don't want to see the, the Secretary of State, the footballing bodies, and these social media companies hiding behind the fact that we are actually having these conversations, because that's what's actually been happening. And this is the, the, my problem with football as a whole and I'm seeing this across the board now, is the fact that we like to talk about stuff that is happening. And what comes with that is accountability. And they don't want to be accountable for what's going on. That's why we suggest things and the suggestion gets thrown back at us. No, we can't do that. And why don't why don't people like certified? You have to be certified to get a bank card. You have to be certified to get, a, to get an actual tablet or a phone. Oh, we can't do that because... It's about numbers. Numbers to a social media company is money. 
You know what I mean? So it all comes down to money. And if we look at it and we're being honest, it comes down to money. Why can't social media companies... I know You must have the tech and you've got the algorithms and stuff to go with, with it, where just on Twitter, if you go over 160 characters, you cannot physically press that tweet button. You can't physically do it. It's impossible. You've got the tech and the algorithms that can identify what context a tweet is being made into. So if they use the word black, they use anything to do with sexuality, you can tell what context that is. that tweet's going to be in. Once the context, you know the context ain't right, you should never be able to actually send that tweet physically, just like you can't do if you use over 160 characters. Why can't things like that be put in place? That's a, it's a great... A great question. And I, I wrote a book on this uh, for six years ago now. So sport racism and social media. That's one of the things exactly as you said, Anton, that's one of the things we actually said in the book um, that there should be AI, artificial intelligence that recognizes the context of that tweet and blocks it before going out or you get a yellow and a red card to use a, a sporting metaphor. I, I think that that's a great idea. I think that Twitter have tried to bring in something similar uh, in recent years. I think Instagram are, are looking at something similar there. But, but again, we, the, these ideas have been around for quite a while and we are waiting a very long time to see real change to stop this. If, if anything, it's getting worse. The numbers are increasing in terms of hate speech inside football and outside football online year after year. Um, so you, you're exactly right. There has the to be more The thing is as well, though, Ben, if, you, if I post a song, for example, they'll be able to take that down for copyright reasons straight away. <laughs> Similar to what Anton was saying about the characters in the tweet. So it's true. It's like lack of like, not so they don't want to, but they need to do something about it because it isn't acceptable. And that's, that's, what, it com- that's what it comes down to. That is exactly what it comes to- down to. And this is my thing. This is what I was saying to them on these Zoom calls. We can have these conversations and the conversation is great, but what it really comes down to is do you actually want to make change or not? Because if you do, you will. We can, come to, we can come forward and give you suggestions, but effectively, you're the ones who can implement them. We can't. And that's, that's the fact. That is a fact. We can't implement these changes. We can endorse them. But I was saying to the social media companies, and I can't sit here for one and speak for the football, the football players because I don't have that position. That's not, I don't work for the PFA. But from my time in dressing rooms and the conversation that I was having in dressing rooms two, three years ago, they're still going to be the same conversations because nothing's changed in them two, three years. And the conversation was, I'm sick and tired of endorsing things that people are putting put in, in, in place for us, but what we're endorsing ain't really working. It's not something that's actually making change. So why don't you as social media companies go and find a solution to this problem, bring it to us, let's see it work, and then we'll endorse it. It is. It's, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, when, when you look at sort of the footballing communities, I mean, we know it's a societal issue, but it's magnified through football because it is the abuse that footballers are receiving because you're in the public eye. And that's how it sort of comes to the fore, really. This taking the knee is still continuing even now. So it's kind of proving in one way that maybe it's not having an impact because people are still doing it. Is that one train of thought, um, Leanne, I'm going to ask you actually, is that one train of thought or is it that you have to continue doing that 
just to make that point, to prove that there is still a discussion to be had. Where do you stand on these sort of big initiatives that the footballing world or the sporting world in general put out there? Because you still see the the abuse. The, it doesn't change anything. Well, the thing is, it catch, it's a catch-22 because it's like, I think taking a knee is a powerful thing. And I think when you see everybody doing it and when you see the black players, you see them closing their eyes, you can see they feel unified, right? But it's all very well kind of like taking a knee. We do need to see progression and stuff like that. And I just don't know what the answers are. We don't have all the answers, but we just know that this needs to stop and we need to continue the conversation. You know, do I know if this is something that's necessarily working or we'll never know? But what you cannot change... You cannot change the ignorance of how people have been raised. That is not something you can do. So whatever's happening in your home, it doesn't matter if people are taking a knee or not. If you are racist, homophobic and prejudiced and sexist, you cannot change that. And you're not just going to switch that off at a football match. That is something that happens inside your own home. So we have to remember it is a small minority as well. It doesn't mean everybody's racist, homophobic. There are people out there that are good people. But I do think that you cannot change ignorance. I mean, I've been at games before where people have said homophobic slurs that they don't even know are homophobic. They're hugging me after a goal saying homophobic slurs. And I'm like, you're next to me. You know, then I feel weird because I'm like, should I report this bloke? Because he's actually thinking we're cool. So it's a weird one. Do you understand what I mean? So it's one of those things that people need educated, education, education, education. But you cannot change an ignorance inside your own home. If somebody is being raised that way, racism, you are not born racist. You are not born homophobic. It is something that is you are learnt. So therefore, those are things you can't change. But I do think that taking a knee to me, I like seeing it. If we stop doing it now, then what are we gonna, how are we going to measure if it's actually working? But again, you cannot change people's ways if they are racist and homophobic. You can't. But why do people feel the need intrinsically from that ignorance, from that lack of empathy, from that lack of education? Why do people feel the need to go online, sit there with their tablets, sit there with their phones and actually target someone specifically? Very good question, actually. Um, I think that we are in a, a place right now in terms of where we are in the world, which is increasingly divided. And I think that I would have liked to have seen the what came after the, the tragic murder of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter rippling throughout the world and the protests and, and speaking out against racial injustice. I would have liked that to have unified people, but problematically, it's actually divided society. And we see that with the, the banner flying across Burnley turf, more with white lives matter, people saying all lives matter. They're completely missing the point. What we also find on social media is because it's an, it's an echo chamber, because of what you like, because of who you follow, the algorithms tailor your content. So if you've been on there for five years, your Twitter content is reinforcing your ideologies and your ideologies are not being challenged. So we are going towards a world that is more polarized than ever before. The left wing and the right wing politically are becoming more distant. And we've seen leaders in powerful positions across the world in the last five years or so who were actually openly racist and xenophobic. Um, and this is, this is legitimizing people's viewpoints. And we'd like to have think, thought that these viewpoints and ideas were left behind long ago. And a lot of people say in a football context, in terms of overt racism, that's a problem in Eastern Europe or that's a problem in Russia. Well, no, it's not, it's not gone away here. It's still here in the UK. 
And what social media has allowed us to do is it's provided a window into contemporary attitudes around things like discrimination. And it's shown that there is a very, very long way to go. Do you know something I always think, Dan, with that? And um, I don't know if Leanne and Anton would agree with me. I think um, a lot of the time when online abusers sort of target someone, I think often it's just jealousy. They just look at someone doing well. They don't like it. So they pick something to, to target them with in the hope that they can hurt them. It's almost projecting their own insecurities onto someone in the public eye. Do you agree with that? I I would uh, I would agree with that yes and I think that goes back to what Daniel was just saying about I I think the aftermath of of George Floyd I would say that it brought unity at first because for the first time we're seeing people demonstrating as one black white brown everyone coming together and. That's the first time people have done that, realistically, when we're talking about race. Everyone's coming together and speaking about it in the right way. Now, d- using the word jealousy, I would say it might might be the wrong word, but the far-right people are looking at it and going, why is there people that look like me marching with people that we shouldn't like? So instead of challenging their own kind, which they won't do, they're, ch- they're, they're now going to the people that they've always hated and making it vocal again and it's becoming what it used to be years ago. Is it a jealousy that the fact that black, brown people are now getting the support of people that look like them? It's like in, it's like in the business world. They oppress ethnic minorities, but now I know people that are in the business sector who, after the demonstrations and the marches, they're doing talks and they're speaking about their, their day-to-day experiences and all of a sudden, the people at the top, the old uh, white female or male, are actually checking themselves and they're going, am I like that? You know? So it's a powerful it's, it's a powerful thing. But what's uh, the reason why they are doing that is because they're looking at it and going, you know what, there's people out on the street who look like me when I look in the mirror that are talking about racism the same way as a black or a brown person speaks about racism. So do you know what? I better start listening and I better start educating myself. And I think that's what we, that's what we're getting, which is why we're seeing resistance from the far far right people that are going, what is going on with the people that look like me? They're going against us. But instead of going against their own people, they're now going and attacking the people who they think the think the problem is. And that's us as ethnic minorities. So We've seen all these initiatives. We've seen what we thought was a sea change in attitudes. It feels, as Dan was saying, that we're actually more polarised post those big events of last summer. So where do we go from here? I mean, that's the big question. We've we've already said we need these social media companies to be accountable. It feels as though this is something that's going to happen soon in the United Kingdom. It hasn't happened yet. But one or two in one or two years time, where do we want to be? I want to be looking at boardrooms, seeing a management level and seeing people that look like me. That's what I want to see because when I see people looking like me at senior management level and board level, when something happens, I know I've got someone fighting for me in the way that I would fight. So they are with with an understanding, a personal understanding of how it's made, how how I feel. We don't have that right now. And this is why there ain't no accountability when it comes to to racism is because there's people that are making decisions who don't understand what it feels like to be racially abused. 
And I think that's a big problem. Until we start seeing people at, who are making the decisions look like us, then I can't see the appropriate sanctions or, or, or punishments being handed out that will make people think, you know what, I can't really do that. So that's what I want to see. I want to see, and that's across all sectors. That ain't just sports. That's across all sectors. You know, we we you, and I'll give you an example. The NHS, the NHS, the people that work daily for the NHS, it's majority ethnic minorities, right? When you look at it, but when you look at the board, there might be one or two ethnic minorities on the board. That just don't add up. It's the same with 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 the FA. From under 15s all the way up to senior man, senior team, the teams are diverse. Some teams there's more ethnic minorities than there is uh, white players in some of the um, the age groups. But when you go to the board or you go to the senior man, management level, you don't see anyone who looks like us. So when something happens to one of the boys, or when the team goes out to Bulgaria and they get racially abused, they don't know how to they don't understand it, so they don't know how to deal with it. It's the same with Greg Clark's situation when he, he's been sacked for using the word coloured. If he had the right people around him at senior management level at, and at boardroom level, because the way he spoke, it was like he... That was just the way he speaks. It was rolled off his tongue. It was the way he speaks. So he naturally speaks like that. But if, say for instance, if I was in there, I would have pulled him up. You can't speak like that. You know you we can't speak We were talking like about that. that, Anton, before you came on, weren't we? I was saying that so, to you. It's a, he says this. It's the kind of thing he says. Not saying everyday life, but no one's corrected him. How can you be of age of that age and no one's correcting you and saying, you know exactly. what, you can't say that because I'll correct people, even if it's not exactly. affecting me. I'll happily stand up and say you can't say that. Exactly, and I think, and I think the biggest thing is, and I think the next fight that we are going to have is right now. There's a there could potentially be a box ticking exercise where okay we've all, we're doing what you want us to do we're we're employing people at management level senior management level and board level but the next thing is are they going to be the right people are they going to be the people that are going to challenge in the right way are they going to be the people who's going to be accountable for making sure that we have got a voice and that's the next battle that I think we're going to have because I think they they've got people in, they'll have people in there but they'll already be of the ilk of the way that they want them to think and they won't be the ones who can challenge them and go oh you know you can't speak like that or you know you can't do that or this is how that person is actually feeling I think we need to be have the right people in them positions yeah. Leanne one or two years time where do you think we will be yeah, I hope. I mean, there's a lot of um, subconscious and unbiased racism that people have deep rooted. And I just hope that conversations like this, you know, Anton touched upon it many, many times just there where we have to see people in position of not power, but in boardrooms, coaching in the women's game, the WSL right now, there is hardly any black players. Potentially, there's not really many mixed race players and it's not good to see. And if you see people like yourself then you want to aspire to be them. So I hope in a couple of years' time, we also will have come a time where people do have to, you know, prove who they are to be on these accounts. Because if we're still sitting here in two years' time and people are being abused online, it doesn't matter if you're a footballer, actor, actress, whatever, you shouldn't have to stand for it. So I just hope having these educated conversations, I don't know all the answers. I'm not perfect. But what I try to be is better every single day. And we need to have people open-minded to learning. And that's just my, my, I hope that, that we can all live in a world one day where everybody's just accepted, but that's just my, my hope and aspiration. And finally, Dan, where do you think, where do you think we'll be and where do you want to be in one or two years time on this debate? 
I will go for where I'd like us to be uh, in this answer. I think, first of all, looking at the UK government, I would like proper legislation to be in place and, and policies and laws. I would like sanctions for these social media giants if they have not removed this content or not being proactive. Looking at social media organizations themselves, develop that AI, include emojis in there as well because they are used for racist uh, expressions as well. They need to be proactive rather than reactive, which is what traditionally that they have been. Ensure traceability and actually have direct channels of communication to law enforcement agencies, police officers. Um, we also, what I'd like to see is, is better education. Looking at our school curriculum, ways to decolonize it, but also hate speech and cyberbullying. This is what kids are going through right now. 25% uh, of kids face cyberbullying online. These are things that we need to touch upon in our school curriculum, which we are not today. Other countries, Germany, um, Australia, Singapore, they're doing things like this. We're behind the curve. We need to uh, work on that as well. And the, the final point in terms of a football context, I think one of the things that comes across in, in this discussion we've had so far is we need comprehensive and robust support services and mechanisms for players, former players who have been targeted and abused online. And that's currently not there. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 